I'm delighted to announce that the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast has a brand new sponsor and it is Get Doper. Now, Get Doper is a fantastic supplement that I've been trialing for the past four to six weeks. And I have to say, I've noticed a really big difference. For any of you who have listened to me for a long time, you know I take supplements. I love them. Um, for me, it's just part of my lifestyle and my wellbeing management. But Get Doper has combined lots of the different supplements I was taking and just put them into one. So it's only three supplement tablets a day. And these combined are 16 powerful nootropic ingredients in the one smart supplement. It's really clever. And it's been created by a neurodivergent person. His name is Matt Buff. I've chatted to him and he's so passionate in helping neurodivergent brains thrive, feel regulated, less anxious, more clarity. And I have to say, I have really been surprised by the impact that Get Doper has had on my working day, feeling much more calm, my memory, my energy, my cognition, my focus, my mood has been significantly improved. So I wanted to let you know about the benefits and something that I do struggle with is sort of memory recall and names and words and things like that. And obviously with the podcast, it's really important, but I've really noticed that I have felt much more supported in this area. And I know that a lot of the 16 different ingredients are fantastic for the brain. Not only do they do all the things I was just telling you about, but they boost the neurotransmitters such as the dopamine, which we know we're deficient in, and that helps support our executive function. It supports our central nervous system, so that helps us with our mood regulation, with our anxiety, with sleep. It improves our digestive health, so it can support our gut-brain axis. Again, very important with regards to mood and anxiety. And it aids the formation, growth, and repair of our brain cells. So it's really protecting our brain with powerful antioxidants. If you want to know more about the formula, do head to the website, getdopa.com. And you'll also be able to read loads of fantastic reviews. It's not just me that's saying this. Lots of people are saying that they are cutting back on their ADHD medication, or they can be taken alongside their medication, which also is really sort of helping the impact of the medication. And there's also Dr. Rachel Gao, who is part of my ADHD Women's Wellbeing Hormone Series. And she is a nutritional neuroscientist and author of Smart Foods for ADHD Brain Health. And she says that Get Doper includes these powerful amino acids, minerals, vitamins, probiotics, alongside the plant-based ingredients. And these ingredients are well known for their ability to improve energy, cognitive function, mood, concentration, and supports memory. So I... I'm really excited to say that I have a 10% discount for you. If you go to the show notes, there's a clickable link. Click on the link, you'll get that 10% off. And I'll also be sharing some information on social media and head to their website, getdopa.com. So you can really understand the formula and read lots of these fantastic reviews. Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. 
everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef and I am here as your host as always. And today we have a very interesting guest. Um, her name is Michaela Thomas. She is a clinical psychologist, she's a coach, and she's the founder of the psychology practice The Thomas Connection, and also author of The Lasting Connection: Develop Love and Compassion for Yourself and Your Partner. Michaela specializes in perfectionism and its ties with stress, anxiety, depression, productivity, procrastination, burnout, and overall well-being, something that we love talking about on this podcast. And Michaela helps ambitious people burn bright without burning out using her pause, purpose, play framework in group coaching, therapy, and speaking. She has a special interest in parental mental health and also neurodivergence. So I am very happy to have you here, Michaela, and I can't wait to speak about lots of these overarching topics that often come up on this podcast, but also within my community as well. So welcome. Thank you very much. It's a right joy to be here. So, I mean, you've sort of pinpointed quite a lot of traits that we see in ADHD women. And a lot of women before they get that diagnosis have always kind of had this as part of their like why am I like this like why am I um, such a perfectionist but why do I procrastinate and why am I so prone to burnout and I always hear continuously as after a an ADHD diagnosis women are getting the the answers you know the kind of then understanding oh, okay so I see this you know this is just like part of the the traits of ADHD especially with the anxiety and the perfectionism and this tendency for burnout which I know is sort of your speciality but you also work with a lot of ambitious people and I'd love to know how you've pinpointed this I guess your community and your audience and what have you been seeing in your practice that has made you want to kind of like really niche down? Well, I sort of have a background of working in the NHS and I used to treat common mental health problems like anxiety, depression, stress, um, sometimes burnout, but we weren't really using those terms. We had to use clinical terms like anxiety and depression um, to measure outcomes. And one of the things I would consistently see in the very driven, ambitious, high-performing individuals was that they were overthinking things, they were very anxious about how they were being perceived, and regardless of how much success they achieved, they never felt good enough. It was never matched with a sense of satisfaction, pride, joy, regardless of what sort of goals you hit, then it was always like, what's the next thing, right? And then as I sort of my practice started to emerge, my private practice, and I was lowering down my NHS work because I'd experienced two episodes of burnout myself at this point working in public healthcare. I realized I needed to build a private practice that suited me and my own terms and so that I could be productive, ambitious, using my potential in a sustainable way. So this also relates back to sort of the mind I have and the minds I often see and I often attract people who are very bright, very talented, brilliant minds who have the potential to achieve all sorts of things. And often they get caught up in these patterns of procrastination and mm. burnout, almost like the boom and the bust. They're all or they're nothing. They're either I'm hyperproductive, doing everything, ticking off my to-do list or I'm in a slump and can't get started and can't do anything. So I would love to dive into those kind of boom and bust patterns a bit more with you today, Kate, because I think it's really relevant Definitely. to a lot of women with ADHD mm. who kind of like can't rein in their productivity and it's like can't find a middle ground. 
But this is essentially why this really mattered to me, because I saw these women, especially women, being underrepresented and then layering on a level of shame on top of this. So not only were they struggling with procrastination, with putting too much pressure on themselves to be perfect, they were also feeling bad about the fact that they were feeling bad yeah. about this. So they, they were really not giving themselves any grace or compassion for the fact that they struggled with these things because they thought, but I'm living such a good life or like there's nothing inherently wrong in my life. Why am I, why am I feeling so anxious or why am I feeling so bad about myself? So I was really passionate about helping people who were misunderstood, who we know were seen as high functioning, which is a term I don't actually really like very much. But underneath the high functionings, the, you know, surface, you can see people who are peddling like ducks under the water just to stay afloat to manage the overwhelm, to hide the chaos. And perfectionism has often become the mask that we use to try to hide all the dysfunctioning or the lack of executive functioning underneath that surface. And if I try to do everything perfect, people may not notice that I'm not quite like everyone else. And maybe I'm a bit of a mess. Maybe I'm a bit of a failure. Maybe I'm lazy. All of these self-critical things that I started hearing time and time and time again, putting the pieces together and I thought, I need to help these women. Yeah, I mean, I relate so much to what you're saying and also, you know, totally understand that feeling of, I mean, my my podcast before this was called The Ambitious Mum and it was very much based on overwhelm, perfectionism, ambition, wanting to, to do it all, be it all and knowing that there was this sort of common thread of just burnout and exhaustion and wanting to just, just lock myself in a dark room and... And having this conflict of wanting to be able to be a good mum, wanting to have energy, wanting to enjoy and thrive in life, but also putting my worth in the productivity and my achievements and the ambition. Because what's going on underneath the surface here is busy minds, lots of ideas, um, lots of energy, restless energy that feels very hard to to kind of um, find any balance and it's only with the ADHD diagnosis we're able to understand ourselves a little bit more. We're able to, to connect these dots. And before a diagnosis, before we can understand ourselves, it's just like you say, this pattern, this boom or burst pattern that each time it's like, okay, next time's going to be different. Next time I'm going to learn what it was mm -hmm. that led me to this burnout and I'm not going to do it again. And then before we know it, you know, we've tweaked something, but not enough, or we think we've done one thing, but actually it's compounding another issue. What would you say if someone is listening right now and they, they are relating to this boom or burst cycle and they don't know how to break it? Where do people start? I think it's just understanding the sweet, sweet dopamine. Of course, you're going to want to have that kick of sitting in your hyper-focused attention because you might have been in the slump for so long that you think, well, I finally got started, then I dare not stop because I'll be procrastinating again and then I'll be in stagnation or inertia or you know, almost like the hardest part was to get started. So if I stop now, if I take a break now, I won't be able to do it anymore. And that's, that is just really, really important to give yourself that permission to say, yeah, that's understandable. That is my brain. My brain is differently wired. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just differently wired. And that reality check of how your brain reacts to dopamine differently to the neurotypical brain, that is a first start towards self-compassion. Mm. 
because I specialize a lot in working with compassion, having that reality check that is not my fault that I respond this way. It is not my fault that I react this way to novel experiences like the shiny object syndrome. It's not my fault. My brain is wired to respond to this. And what can I do to harness that? How can I work with that? So we don't get into this glorification of the hyperfocus as like just the ADHD superpower, because it is something that I very often see landing women in burnout because too much of a good thing is still too much, right? So putting in sustainable practices, anchoring yourself with other people who understand that you may need a bit of help with a stop button can be really important. Maybe having, you know, if you self-employed like me, maybe having a team that's briefed on you need some of these measures in place to help you break the hyperfocus, or maybe loved ones who can try to you know, remind you that it's time to stop. Or if you're in a workplace, and obviously, you know, lis- listening again to your previous episode with Leanne Maskell is really important of understanding the access to work scheme, that having those reasonable adjustments made for you in the workplace that actually no wonder that I feel this way, no wonder that I behave this way at this boom and bust cycle is not helpful. We might think, oh, it's great because I'm in the up phase, getting lots of stuff done, cleaning the kitchen like there is no tomorrow, but it's not actually a good place to be. It might be really exhausting. So as a pragmatist, I look a lot at contextualism. I look a lot of function, mm. you know, what is workable? So if someone tells me that their hyperfocus causes no problems whatsoever for them. They've never stayed up all night. They never felt exhausted the next day. They never felt burnt out. Then I'm like, great, you've harnessed your hyperfocus in a nice way. <laughs> Good on you. And I'm, I'm probably going to struggle to find many of those people who haven't felt the hangover from the hyperfocus. I don't know about you, but it's certainly something that I've sometimes paid a price for. Um, probably related to the burnout episodes I had in the when I worked in the NHS as well. That it's okay to feel like you want to go above and beyond, but you can't do that on every single thing. So you have to choose wisely. Where do you give your sort of impact? Where do you want to put those in so that you can follow your ambition, create impact for others with less impact on yourself? Yeah. I mean, what you're saying then is that sort of related to your program that you work with. And also I liked what you said, I'm paraphrasing here, sort of uh, burn bright, not burn out. And, and that's it. Like it's choosing, isn't it? It's like you can't have be perfect and high energy and hyper focus in every area of your life. Um, and I and I do feel as women, you know, we I think it's that added layer of the condition that we have as women that we have to look like we've got everything in hand and we have to look like we know what's going on. And and the more I more I speak to women who are happy to be honest and truthful and break down, you know, some of the taboos of, yes, I know what's going on on all my kids' WhatsApp groups and my house is tidy and my laundry's done and there's fresh food on the table every day and I work full time. It's just ridiculous because I don't know one woman Mm -hmm. that doesn't want to go F this shit and walking out like on (laughs) numerous occasions because that's reality. And, you know, this day and age that we're living in where perfectionism is kind of broadcast to us through social media and reels and TikTok and TV and, you know, Botox and all of that. And, And we have to kind of look 10 years younger than we are and we have to have like high flying careers and perfect children and eat organic food it's it's just not sustainable and we have to maybe pick different seasons in our life 
to what what's important and i can speak some you know from a personal perspective that i put my career on the back burner for the first 10 years of motherhood and with a huge amount of shame um guilt embarrassment um sadness grief that i could have been i could really be sort of propelling my career but i genuinely knew that i didn't have the energy to sustain a career and be the mum that i wanted and i'd always wanted to be a mum and you know i loved being at home with my kids despite it being difficult but if i had done both at the same time i know my mental health genuinely would have suffered it just would have been dreadful and there were moments even when i wasn't really pushing my career and i was sort of plateauing a lot sort of just stayed in the same position while my kids were little um that was difficult enough as it was and so maybe sometimes we just have to accept that at different stages of our life different things are going to be important to us and i would say right now for me as my kids are a bit older you know i love being at home for my kids in the afternoon but i prioritize my work now i prioritize work over coffee and dates you know like with friends and all of that i, I squeeze things in because right now my career is lighting me up but at the same time i'm so conscious of this hyper focus and i'm so conscious of the boom and burst that I could like work in the evening. I would want to work in the evening. I'm like, but who's that for? What What am I doing that for? Like, what's that productivity? Like, where's it coming in? Is it my ego? Is it my worth? Is it because I'm not doing it? I feel like I'm not doing enough. So this is constant daily check-in, this constant check-in, which mm. is exhausting in itself. And I do talk about this, that as women with ADHD, we just have to have a higher level of self-awareness than maybe neurotypicals and maybe we just have to accept that that is just part of our our daily routine would, would you agree do you do you sort of resonate in some capacity i do agree i think there's so many important things you share that's want to make sure i capture them i think one thing that comes up for me when i listen is that importance of self boundaries that it's not just the boundaries to be set with others that can be really difficult for women with ADHD with people pleasing tendencies and wanting to overpromise and then underdeliver but it's also overpromising and underdelivering to yourself that if we don't set these self-imposed boundaries and almost like limits, like I said earlier about limiting how long you get to spend in the hyperfocus, the vulnerability is there for burnout. We are more likely than the average person, the, than the neurotypical person, to be prone to burnout because of how our brain is wired, to be prone to anxiety. The correlations are there. It doesn't mean that it's cause and effect. ADHD means you have to be anxious. ADHD means you have to be burnt out. It just means that similar to someone who is struggling, you know, who's managing a diabetic condition, would need it to be aware of their their insulin and you know making sure that they have their medication with them checking their sugar levels it's a self-management practice that sometimes you can kick back at and it's absolutely okay to feel that frustration against the things you sort of quote unquote have to do to remain well i get that and it can be really difficult because we exist in a world that a like you said promotes perfection and b is built for neurotypical people so no wonder then i guess this is a compassion piece again no wonder that this is difficult that we put pressure on ourselves to do all the things juggle all the stuff wear all the hats and then feel really overwhelmed and spent so for me personally uh, in my practice i've had to build a work day that is sustainable for me that has lots of body movements built in 
I, I try to go to yoga every Friday as a on my CEO day when I do what I want. Um, but also how I guide people through my group coaching program, Burn Bright, because you cannot burn bright if you are burnt, burnt out. You cannot do brilliant things and create an impact and leave a legacy and all of these ambitious things you want to do. You can't do that if you're spent. Yeah. You cannot give to others if you've got nothing left to give. So it starts with you of topping yourself up with self-care and self-compassion. And it's really important that they are not driven by dogma, right? That they are not prescriptive because we are different there. I'm reflecting on in order for me to re remain well in motherhood, I have much younger children than you do, I think. It's actually really important for me to build in space for my work as well as my mm. mothering. So it's about doing what works well for you and what serves a purpose for you rather than thinking should, yeah. right? I should be a stay-at-home mom or I should be working full-time or I should be only working these amounts of hours. Softening a should to a could invites in the opportunity to choose wisely. I could be a stay-at-home parent and I could be parking my career for the moment and that would have its perks, that would have its downsides. I could be working full-time now, maybe bringing more money, but that could have its perks and that could have its downsides. So when we soften a should to a could, we take some of the self-blame away from us, take some of the pressure away from us and we compassionately can choose well, what serves me best, the person I am, given everything I know about myself and my brain wiring, my life experience, my life situation, what do I choose wisely? What do I invite more in of? And what do I need to actually gently, kindly with myself, let go of? And that might mean setting a boundary with yourself. So for me, I'm quite firm on evening working. I did it last night because I was part of a mastermind thing that was only scheduled in the evening. And I really struggled to come to sleep afterwards. You know, the hyperactive mind was dwelling on lots of buzzing ideas. And I actually know that working in the evenings doesn't serve me. Yeah. So those, those are sort of my two, two P around where it's really important to have that awareness. And it can be exhausting, like you say, it's almost like tracking yourself, but you have a lot to gain from doing it. When you learn to notice that there's a hole in the road about to come up, that could be your burnout, your overwhelm, becoming shouty mom, whatever it is, the hole in the road is coming. That can even be, you know, the last week of your cycle. That's the hole in the road that's coming up. What do I do to look after myself so I can gently walk around the hole rather than falling in yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, just listening to you now and, and, and hearing the way you speak and softening and using, you know, the could instead of the should and that compassion, it feels just like, okay, ma manageable, you know, instead of, you know, being totally derailed by the overwhelm and derailed by all the things that, you know, we have on our to-do list. And I like the phrase that you use, this sort of self-management practice, because we should be the leader in our own life. We should have a level of self-responsibility and self-leadership, because why would we want someone else to take that away from us? We want autonomy. You know, as people with ADHD, autonomy is very important to us. Self-leadership is very important. And it helps us feel fulfilled and it helps us feel um, like we are in control. And I do hear this a lot of people, especially women who are working in sort of corporate environments, you know, maybe the NHS as well and different things where they don't feel they have a level of autonomy over their own energy levels, their work environment. And they still haven't got to a place where they can ask for certain accommodations. Maybe they're waiting for their ADHD diagnosis. Maybe it's self-diagnosed and they don't know how to go about it. Um, 
I know that you have experience in in understanding ADHD from all angles, from a personal angle, but also from um, you know working with a lot of ambitious women. The process of sort of finally understanding ourselves and then moving towards okay self leadership and self responsibility and asking for the things that we need in the accommodations. Do you have anything that you can impart on us to help? again like we say like breaking down that cycle of the boom or bust and what women can ask for um you know moving forward so they do feel like they have more control over how they work again it's sorry. a lot of things there. I, think. <laughs> I ask about 20 questions in one go i'm sorry <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting because I, I noticed that i probably do the same thing on my own <laughs> podcast because that's the, the beautiful mind that we have that has that daisy yes. chain right like going from <laughs> one thing to the next and we want to say all these things so i'm just having such joy sitting here talking to you so um i think that is one way to start is actually observing this with a lighter touch holding it more gently rather than like oh here i went again uh, i mean you even sort of said oh sorry i asked 20 questions at one it's like yeah but if we constantly say i shouldn't be like this way i shouldn't be thinking that way then we're actually almost like gaslighting ourselves and we've been a bit ableist about our own difficulties yes i asked 20 questions at once because I have a beautiful mind that likes to think about 20 things at once. And for me, it's I sometimes think about where where would I be had I not been using yoga and mindfulness meditation, compassion practices like half my life, had I not been trained in, in cognitive behavior therapy, which is one, one of the ways of treating ADHD beyond medication is obviously mindfulness, CBT, and, you know, and body movement. So I kind of have all of those. And yet I struggle at times because it's human to struggle at times. This is a difficult way of being wired, but we also have a range here on how high functioning we are with ADHD. So I think just the compassion piece is probably the most important thing I want to give people, knowing that that is, involves an, a permission to not constantly get it right, that even when you have all the tools and all the practices and all the insights, you probably will still get caught up in the boom and bust cycle. So rather than expecting perfection in like, I'm never going to do it again, because that feeds that failure story. It feeds that negative inner dialogue, the self-critic that says to you, there you go again. You are so hopeless. You're useless. There's like all the narratives that come out that you were late again. And actually, if we can soften that and kind of go, okay, so you were late, you know, that is something that is really difficult for you. And it does get you into trouble sometimes. So what can you do to try to make that easier next time? Who can help support you with this? What practices can help you? Is it sort of tech, like using smartwatches or phone alarms to kind of give you imposed breaks if you get stuck in this? Is it making sure that you use like a whiteboard system like I do when I get the 20 brilliant ideas? And I'll teach this in my Burn Bright container as well to help people with focus and systems. Um, I have a whiteboard that has like a little square on it with a P on it, so like a parking space. So that sort of stop sign you have when you kind of, here's where you park. And whenever I get a brainwave, like, oh, I want to do this thing. It's going to be brilliant. <laughs> and you know that feeling when you get sucked in, you're like, oh my God, glorious. <laughs> this is going to be the, the thing that everyone's going to want. And it's going to be so helpful. I then put it in the parking yeah. lot. Because visually, it means it's there. I've allowed myself the permission to go down that rabbit hole. I put it up there. But I can then make a conscious choice and be really intentional of when I bring it into full focus, which is on the other part of the whiteboard where I have my focus for mm. the week. 
And it's really difficult to resist that urge to constantly bring them into focus. So then having an external person helps for me, where we then sort of check in what is the focus for my week, my, you know, my operations manager. But if you don't happen to have an operations manager, then maybe you have a line manager at work. You can sort of request to have like a, a coffee meeting once a week, once a month, or maybe just speaking to your partner, like help me focus. Help me, what is, what is most important this week? Because otherwise you will be doing hashtag all the things and the burnout and overwhelm will follow. So being conscious about that, it means you kind of allow yourself to scratch the itch that inspiration and visionary dreaming can bring to you as a neurodivergent person, but also still working with a rhythm, with a flow that protects your energy and your capacity. So that's a top tip that I have and making it visually where you can see it every single day is also yeah really absolutely love that i mean my my phone is that but i have a whiteboard and i don't do it for that reason but you've made me think okay because i put all the my ideas and my notes um app and then i forget about them and then i go back and then i kind of have a little scroll and go oh my god i totally forgot about that idea and i remember being so passionate about that idea and as we know with our brains it's sort of like you know once it's gone you know it's out it's gone and if you don't see it it's not there and we have got so much passion and ambition and we have got so much vision that sometimes that alone is like burns us out because we kind of think how are we going to do it all um we want to we want to do this and we do an event and we want to write a book and we want to launch a podcast and then we're we're overwhelmed just by all the ideas and when you talk like that it makes me feel much better because we don't have to do it all in one go and we don't have to like launch a million things at the same time because not only is that going to overwhelm us, it's going to overwhelm our audience as well. It's going to, they're not going to know which direction we're going in. So it does sometimes feel like we're always pulling the reins on ourselves and we're always pulling ourselves back because of this kind of looming pothole that you described, the burnout, like knowing it's sort of there and just always kind of taming that horse of, okay, let's just go slowly, slowly. But then on the flip side, some of the best ideas I've had I've been down to my impulsivity, have been down to dropping someone an email, dropping someone a DM on Instagram, quickly writing a post of something that's just come to mind. And we have to celebrate and harness some of those traits that can get us into trouble sometimes. And also kind of, you know, reflect and go, that impulsivity of that incredible brainwave that I've just had has led to this amazing connection or this collaboration and celebrating that as well and not always feeling like we've got to put the brakes on us. How would mm. you, from a psychological perspective, you're the psychologist, you work in this area, what's the healthiest way of being able to celebrate and harness all this excess energy that we have while also bringing in that self-compassion piece? It's, is it just kind of that that balance, this equilibrium of, of like, knowing that it's okay to push when we when we've got the energy and then pull back when when it's time to kind of rest gosh uh this is taking my all my executive functioning because it's so good to be here and listen to you and talk to you um i think that harnessing your energy utilizing your potential has to be combined with taking regular breaks otherwise that potential won't last it's like that is the whole point of the flickering light. It's almost like when you see the flame is almost like flickering. That means it's you're on shaky grounds and it's about to be extinguished. 
And so I think much more about like what can give you sustainable glow, like the glowing embers of the fire. That's when you can really, you know, grill some marshmallows. That's where you can get some really important stuff done. But it's really important to know that the fire also starts somewhere. Like you might set things ablaze fully and then it sort of takes some time to tend to it. Do you have to tend to the fire yourself? Or is there anyone else who can help to tame things a little bit for you that you have a good collaboration with? And again, this is why mentioning the access to work scheme, where it might be that you get allocated a PA or a coach or someone who can help you do those things. Um, so that's the compassion piece as well as saying, actually, in order for me to burn bright, in order for me to have that fire within me that I really want to feel, because it feels really good as well to do this, to follow your heart's desire. It feels really passionate, right? And inspired. We also need to kind of mirror that with, well, what do I need to make it sustainable? Without feeling like I have to mask constantly and not be me. So I think of this as being very intentional and conscious about when you take the mask off, where it feels safe to do so, where you kind of feel, you know, I let all the all the stuff hang out a bit. And you know, like I, I started by apologizing for being two minutes late to, to our recording room, thinking, well, you can't really be on brand for ADHD without being a little bit late. So holding it more lightly, bringing a sense of humor to it, embracing that this is who you are. It doesn't mean that you have to then tolerate all the ways that this gets you into trouble without doing anything about it. Compassion is not a passive choice. Compassion is a courageous, brave choice where you say to yourself, this is not my fault. This brain wiring of mine is not my fault. And it is my responsibility to try to meet myself where I'm at, support myself with this, and create something really good from this life that I have, the one life I have to live. What do I need to do that? So the first part of compassion is the sense-making. I've made sense of this. I've had insight. I've received a diagnosis or I've had the assessment realizing these behavioral patterns are not my fault. That's the sense-making. No wonder that I feel this way, that I behave this way, that I think this way, that I feel this way in my body. No wonder. That's the sense-making. The second part of compassion is the action-taking. We cannot just have insight and be like, oh, well, I've got ADHD, so I'm kind of off mm. the hook and I'm allowed to do whatever I want and be excused because I have this in neurodivergent brain, the second part is the action taking where you kind of ask yourself, what's going to be helpful rather than harmful for me to do towards myself, towards other people? So we don't just kind of go, well, I had a volcanic eruption, but that's fine because I have ADHD and emotional regulation problems. So that's not my fault. That's still, like you said about the self-leadership and the accountability, you're still accountable for your actions, even though you did not choose this brain. This brain was not chosen for you by anyone particular. It's not a punishment. It is just what it is. So that part of compassion involves a mindful acceptance into it is what it is. And what can I do about it? What can I do to support myself? What things can I change and how do I accept and surrender into the things I cannot change? Yeah, that's beautiful, really beautiful. And it does take a level of intrinsic motivation for us to not be a victim and to take responsibility with, you know, like exactly how you say, take action so we can improve our lives, improve our health, improve our relationships around us as well. It takes a level of work. And some people, unfortunately, aren't ready. You know, they may get the mm -hmm. diagnosis and they don't 
really want to change. But then the ones who I speak to, the ones who sort of come into my world and who are probably listening to this podcast right now are recognizing, okay, I, I've seen what's going on. I'm starting to process my diagnosis, process the emotions I've gone through. You know, we've gone through when you mentioned, you know, earlier on about the grief and the anger and the sadness. And I think many of us relate to that this process that we go through. And then it takes a good few months to kind of come out the other side and go, okay, I'm ready to take action now. I'm ready to see what's available. Like, what can I add to my toolkit? How can I harness this brain of mine, which has been there forever, and I'm going to die with this brain, and I want to make the best out of myself. And very often, this is sadly um, combined with other family members who haven't had this awareness who there's been dysfunction there's been chaos there's been trauma and they've seen how this is manifested in different family members and they want to break these cycles again i've talked about this quite a lot in the podcast that i genuinely believe that despite us being coined this sort of lost generation of women who are getting later on in life diagnoses we're also being given something very um special and very um, important that maybe we're the, the generation breakers, the cycle breakers as well. And we, you know, typically got kids who have been diagnosed and we are able to heal ourselves, but also help co-regulate our kids, co-regulate the house and help, you know, them live a life that maybe we didn't have as growing up, but we for sure hadn't seen in other family members who are older than us. So I feel like it's, um, we've been given something very precious and very important. And it's like, okay, you've now finally got some form of guidebook toolkit, you know, however you want to look at it. And okay, let's, what can we do? Like, how can we like live our best life? Mm. How can we thrive? And do you feel like you're sort of shining and burning bright now and no longer going into that burnout cycle? Do you, do you find that you are living in your sweet spot? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that sweet spot is subject to constant yes. calibration from day to day, week to week, month to month, part of the year. Uh, you know, I've got young children, so that calibration will be leaning more heavily into rest and self-compassion in the winter months because then the kids are sick and you can't pack in lots of stuff in the diary because suddenly you have a child home from nursery or school. And I think that sweet spot, I don't believe that that's something we come to and we stay there and we land there because although I agree in principle what you're talking about, the generation breakers and understanding and noticing these cycles, um, it is also a very heavy responsibility to place on our shoulders. So yes, we are that generation that can have that insight of looking at our, how we were parented, for instance, looking at how we can recognize things in the school system now for our own children, we can advocate for our children in a way that nobody advocated for yeah. us. That is also a huge yeah. pressure. And one of the biggest things I see, I, I work with a lot of P words like pause, purpose, play, permission. But the really big P words that often people come into my practice for in the sort of decade or so that I've been trading now as a psychologist privately is pressure. That pressure to do things perfectly, to be the cycle breaker, to be the parent that you didn't have. I spoke to Zoe Blasky about this from Motherkind on, on my podcast as well, about how hard it is to get it right, to be the generation breaker, uh, the cycle breaker of generations. There might be longstanding trauma leading back to you know war experiences. It's really, really difficult, and it becomes a hard pressure that can also be perfectionistic in itself. So 
Although I agree in principle, and it is definitely something that guides my own parenting strategies to inform myself more, to educate myself, to read bits to try to help me understand my child more. I think it's also really important to tune inwards into our intuition and our trust of, well, how do I want to be with my child? How do I want to be with myself? And some of the time, I cannot break that cycle in that moment because you have been subject to these learning experiences. You have been shaped by your your upbringing, your background, the way that your neurodivergence was met with shame and blame. And what we know is, you know, thousands of more negative comments by the time you come to adolescence than people who are not neurodivergent. That shaping of you will have an impact. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that we cannot be perfect at letting go of perfect. We cannot be the ideal parent letting go of having been non-ideally parented. So I just wanted to give that little permission piece to people that this it's okay to get this wrong sometimes. The repairing of the rupture with your child matters more than getting it right every single time. In fact, you are a better parent if you get it right about 30% of the time you get it wrong about 30% of the time and repair about 30% of the time. So the rule of thirds is something we we know from Winnicott's work around sort of imperfect parenting or good enough mm. parenting. So I know we kind of got off on different tangents, but this matters lots to me that I don't want to be part of the conversation that puts blame and pressure on today's parents. Because if you would be kind of honestly looking at your morning and you kind of clocked up how long it takes you to do all the things that we're told that we're supposed to be doing to thrive, how long does it take you to floss, to do your idle skincare routine, to drink your green smoothie or whatever you're supposed to have, to cook um, a high protein breakfast that is not just a bowl of cereal, and then make sure that you've meditated, make sure you've taken a fresh air walk because home working is no good for you, blah, blah slowing this pace down a little bit, like I can kind of hear my voice ramping up because like there's so much pressure to do it all. If you just did one day when you'd be like, right, nailed it, done all that stuff, you would have spent like two hours before you even done anything else but trying to look after yourself perfectly. So I want to send that message to anyone listening that if you feel like a bit of despair or despondent or think that I, I'm, I'm never doing this right, I'm always doing the things that my parents did to me, etc. You're probably not, mm. never and always. That perfectionistic, all or nothing thinking is very ADHD. It's very easy to get into the absolutes. You're probably getting it right more often than you think. And if you have any more learning to do, then there are great books out there, but also tune inwards and trust what you think is important. Yeah. Oh, that is so, so powerful. Thank you for that, honestly. And like you said, you know, the word pressure, this pressure that we do find ourselves under. And you're absolutely right. Like, you know, even though we may have big plans and we seek justice and we want to make impact and all of this, actually, sometimes all we want to do is just sit on the couch, put a a throw on us with a hot cup of tea and put on a trashy film and just block out everything and not have to adult and not have to parent and just not be a business owner and not all the things that you know that it feels that very intense and very pressurized and it's just sometimes nice just to kind of like you say just just go inwards and just tune into what what it is that we need um and and again you know especially with with mood regulation and feeling this emotional dysregulation with regards to our mood, hormones, cycle, perimenopause, we're navigating so much that is almost against us. You know, it's like you say, this sort of like peddling upstream 
that sometimes it just it just all feels a little bit too much, which is why the thought of reading magazines that tell me to do a 10 step skin routine and to drink, you know, a 10 ingredient smoothie every morning. I just can't do it. I don't even go there. Like when I hear people say to me, I've got to have protein, I've got to have healthy fats. I'm like, yeah, you do. But if that's just um, a few eggs a day and cook them in olive oil, like, okay, there you do. You've done your protein, you've done your healthy fats. Don't overcomplicate. And your vitamin yes. D, which is great for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't try and overcomplicate everything because um, it is the pressure can just get too much. And even if the best mm. thing that you can do that day is just sit down and have a cup of tea and put on a trashy Netflix program, then you've calmed your nervous system, you've relaxed your mind, calmed your brain, and you've gone into intuitively what you want. And that's probably been the best thing. And I absolutely love your ethos. I love the, the way you work and the fact that you are, you know, a trained clinical psychologist. So even though I love you sort of coming in, bringing a lot more of the self-compassion work and using words like intuition, I know that it's all sort of like evidence-based as well, which really helps me mm. know that as a coach, I'm working in the parameters of, it's sort of like substantiated as well. So I just wanted to thank you for bringing in your, your amazing work. And I know you talk about your podcast and you have a book. Can you tell, and this program, can you tell us a little bit about your work and how people can you know find more of that online sure so i do a range of services because again i'm multi-hyphenated i own that so i have a podcast called pause purpose play and it's a psychology podcast around letting go of the pressure of perfection so that you can have more impact in the world without the same impact on yourself. So we have guest experts and solo podcasts where I give sort of tangible tips and um, I'm all about creating the sort of the micro habits, doing small things that don't overcomplicate things. You know, as you were speaking, I did one of my favorite practices, which is just letting your shoulders drop and just taking six deep breaths over the course of a minute. You know, that's a really simple thing to just do to regulate your nervous system. It doesn't have to be mega complicated. If you have 10 steps in that routine, whatever the routine is aimed for, your skin or your nervous system, you're not going to do it. So I teach both in individual therapy and coaching sessions and group coaching sessions. I teach how to be kinder to yourself and still kind of harness the mind that you have. So I use behavior, I use emotion, I use thoughts. I mix compassion-focused therapy with acceptance and commitment therapy, behavioral couples therapy, which is I put what I put into my book, The Lasting Connection, where you've got lots of compassion practices in there. And I have my flagship signature course, which is my group coaching program called Burn Bright, which is a six-month transformational program. And I made it six months because first it was three months, and I was like, I barely scratched the surface, and I needed to have like another rendition. We go through pause, purpose, play twice over because it gives the the scattered mind more chance to make it a habit to make it a new reality to start to chip away at this idea of not enoughness of I don't matter to then thinking hmm maybe there's a chance that I am important too and maybe nourishing myself is something I could consider doing not putting myself at the bottom of the pile and meeting the kids needs first and then forgetting about myself so self-care and prioritizing yourself is really important as part, part of the work I do so I hang out on Instagram uh, the Thomas connection or LinkedIn on Michaela Thomas 
and again so you can listen to the podcast as well fantastic well thank you so much and you know i so appreciate all your knowledge and your wisdom and your expertise um and i will make sure that um, all your details are in the show notes because i think your six-month program sounds fantastic and i know for, i know how powerful they are because i've done programs like this as well and I've had similar ones myself and you really do see first of all you have the connection between the people in the program um, very mm. like-minded and um, people who are sort of going through similar journeys but also that transformation over six months of really it is it's full of self-care self-nurturing and it's finally investing in ourselves and I know that a lot of people sometimes go I can't spend that amount of money on myself I don't know how much yours is but it's that acknowledgement is like, finally, I'm worth this time. I'm worth spending money on myself because this is lasting. So thank you for all the work that you do, Michaela. And thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. And then you're so right about this sort of permission to invest in ourselves. And the, my program is priced accordingly because I've noticed that if you do put the investment in, it's like you put the money behind the bar, you're going to show up to drink. If you, do, if you do something low investment, all of us have done that, right? That's the ADHD tax. You put something in like, oh, I'm just going to buy this thing and buy that thing. And you don't actually commit to doing it. Whereas if you put in a bigger investment, you have to really think twice mm -hmm. about doing. You're also so showing your mind, I'm committing to this change. I'm committing to this practice. And I've definitely experienced that myself when I've been a participant in group coaching, that the ones I invested seriously in are like, oh, goodness, I, I'm going to have to make this work. And you do make it a priority. So... Um, but I also offer a scholarship place on every cohort and the next one starts in October. So if it's financially not viable for you, um, I always accept scholarship applications too to make it accessible. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Michaela. And I hope to speak to you very soon. Thank you so much, Kate. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and it resonated with you, I would absolutely love it if you could share on your platforms or maybe leave a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do check out my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk for lots of free resources and paid for workshops. I'm uploading new things all the time and I would absolutely love to see you there. Take care and see you for the next episode.